0: So, I want to ask you all a question as we begin. What is your favorite Christmas song? Favorite Christmas song? Emmanuel? Okay, what else? Silent Night, that's a good one. Neela, you said something? No, did. The kids did. <laughs> What'd you say, Ann? <laughs> Rudolph. <laughs> Rudolph. <laughs> Rudolph? All right, what else? Okay, that's a, that's a mouthful. Good. What else? There's got to be a couple more Holy Night. What was that? Mary, did you know? Okay. Jonathan. Christmas. Okay. That's one of my favorites too. So Spotify, the streaming platform, Spotify came up with a list of, of their top 25 based off of downloads and streams during the holiday season. Now, it may surprise you that none of the songs that you mentioned are on that top five list. And more than likely, some of these artists, some of you may not even know who they are. So here are the top five that are most popular in our culture today. Number five is Justin Bieber's Mistletoe. Okay, number four is Michael Buble, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. Number three is Ariana Grande's Santa Tell Me. I don't know what that one is. The second one, we're probably all familiar with this one. The second one is Wham! Last Christmas. And the first one, Mariah Carey, as we probably suspected, all I want for Christmas is you. All I want. So apparently, I heard this story recently that that Mariah Carey tried to go to the patent office and patent herself as the queen of Christmas. They denied her. Apparently, there was another queen of Christmas already there. Random trivia for the day. Random trivia for the day. So it's probably no surprise that these songs, these secular songs, these secular music are on the top of the charts during this Christmas season. Now, most, again, as you stated, a lot of ones that you mentioned are not on the top of the list. Here's probably one of the things that's most shocking and surprising, at least to me and probably for some of you as well, is that even on our Christian radio stations or your Christian bookstores, if they still exist, a lot of them are playing kind of some of those same songs, aren't they? During this time, you put on K-Love on the weekends, and that's all we're hearing, and and a lot of them are playing these secular songs, and even in some churches nowadays as well. So I think what has happened, unfortunately, is we've missed this whole meaning of Christmas. We've missed this idea and understanding of Christmas, and, and it's, it's unfortunate. And one of the most unfortunate things is, frankly, these songs are just not biblically accurate. They're just not biblically accurate. So one of the, and, and unfortunately, too, there's also other songs that we do sing often in churches that are not also biblically accurate. One of them is, is, is the, the We Three Kings of Orientar, classic. The issue with that is tenfold, probably, right? But it, it's a story of the three magi, so called three magi, but the issue with that is number one that that the magi probably visited Jesus some two years after he was born number one, number two they weren 't magicians and they were they were astrologers and and astro you know they, they were astrologers and astronomers and, and they, they they probably traveled in large groups to match up all the the stars and the continents and whatnot. And they weren't kings, so everybody has this picture, uh, even in our nativity scenes that we have in our homes. It's these three kings, and they're they're at the bajor, and they're they're there. That's not how it went down. That's not how it went. And a lot of times, there's always three, and there's nothing in the Bible that says there was three. It says there were more than one, but that's all we really know. The the reason for that's probably because of the gifts that they had presented, right? The frankincense. What is the other one's? Myrrh. And then the other one, I can't remember what it was. But because they brought these three gifts, everybody's like, Oh, one person brought one gift. Like a like a holiday party or something. That's not how it happened. And they most likely they probably like I stated, they probably they they probably traveled in twelve. But again, so obviously we're, we don't want to be legalistic, and it's not like we won't sing some of those songs and enjoy some of them. But the idea is what we want to do is we want to be biblical, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the music that we do sing and how we present uh, the worship to our Lord. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some songs for the next four weeks. And these were the first four songs that we read in the scriptures in respects to the birth of Jesus. So this morning we're going to do that as well. And, and, of course, these are biblical songs because they're ripped right out of the pages of scripture, right out of Luke's gospel. And that's what we're going to do for the next several weeks. And, and just kind of a, a side note maybe, this idea of songs as we know it is a little bit different than what they were doing then. In those times they're songs. You know, we didn't have an incredible drummer or guitarist or vocals or, or pianist we didn't have all that then. It was it was obviously a different situation that they used. Obviously, there, were, there was poetic u- music or poetic language used. There were rhythms and meters, and all these things were done. But it's not how we experience it today, especially during that time, and it doesn't translate well in English either, but especially during that time, if you think about it, during that time, the Jews were not exactly a happy bunch, were they? So a lot of the music that was coming out, the songs that were written then, weren't exactly joyful and joyous and celebratory as we sing them today. And it was was a bleak, bleak time for for the Israel nation at that time, and they weren't joyful. They didn't include clapping and singing and all of these things that we enjoy and do today. But when Jesus was born, just like we talked about with the kids this morning, when Jesus was born, it changed everything. And that's what we're going to see with these songs today. It changed everything. So now they can recognize him as Messiah and celebrate the birth and the arrival of the king. So these next four weeks, we're going to sing these songs and review these songs from the scriptures that are full of joy. And they are full of hope because now that the king has arrived, they are able to change that tune a little bit more. So, each of them is a call to respond, and we're going to hopefully pull that out of each passage this uh, next few weeks. Each of these are going to be a call to respond in a practical way as we leave these doors and go out in our communities. So, this morning we're going to look at Mary's song. This morning we'll look at Mary's song, uh, but I want to set the stage a little bit because it's hard just to jump right into something. We've got to make sure we understand what's happening around it. So we're going to set the stage. We're going to take a look at a prior passage in Luke's gospel. So Luke chapter 1, verse 39, we're going to read this passage just to help us to understand what's happening in Mary's song. In those days, Mary arose and, he, and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her room. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why, and why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there will be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So, so there's an excitement and a joyous reunion between Mary and Elizabeth. So Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, if you're not aware, they were, they were unable to have children for many, many years. For many years, they were unable to have, and they were well past their childbearing years. So use your imagination to see how old they might have been. But while, while Zechariah was ministering in the temple, and we'll read more about Zechariah next week, when he was in the temple, the, the angel appeared to him. And said, dude, Elizabeth's going to have a child. And they, and this child will prepare the way for the Messiah. What a mind-blowing comment that must have been. So six months later, Gabriel came to, to, to Mary. Uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and revealed to her that she had found favor with God. And that, she, that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and she was going to be blessed with caring and bearing the messiah the son jesus and at this time mary was likely a, was a teenager and that that's all signs point that she was a teenager during this time likely as young as 13 years old when the angel appeared to her so if you think about that in its entirety unwed teenager and she was going to give birth to the Messiah. There, there, there's a, a remarkableness to that statement. And that revelation is so much more impressive. So therefore, uh, Mary goes and she visits her cousin, Elizabeth. And it took probably about four days' journey. And my wife was pregnant twice, so I can know this from, from experience. Walking four feet was hard when she was pregnant, let alone four days' journey. Okay, okay. So she goes, and she goes into the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and she visits her cousin, and during this journey, imagine the time she had to think about all the things that the angel revealed to her. She thought about all these things, so Mary enters the, the house of Elizabeth, and John the Baptist, inside the womb of Elizabeth, jumped and leapt with joy. Ouch. She proclaimed a blessing in, in, in Elizabeth's, uh, so she proclaims his blessing and 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 this is what we're going to see today with you know uh, on Mary as well so elizabeth proclaimed a blessing on mary and as well as the baby and, and what a what a remarkable thing we saw there as well so i i get the feeling that that once this happened that's where where uh, mary's response and she's so overwhelmed and and she just responded with praise and she responded with this song of praise that we're going to read here in just a few minutes and I think about the contrast that we see today. The contrast of, of this season of, of knowing that the Messiah is near to what we see today. What do we see today? Traffic. Crowds of people. Black Friday. Cyber Monday. And I think Black Friday started like three weeks ago in some places. It was really weird. Okay, and that's what we see today. And it completely takes every all of our attention off of the reason for why we gather and celebrate the birth of the season. And, and not to say that, that, you know, we can't do those things or participate in those things, but what we're hoping to do over these next several weeks as we approach Christmas is, is to help us to kind of allow ourselves to align and focus on the king once again. But there is an antidote. There's an antidote to all this stress of the season that we just talked about. There is an antidote, and we do see it in this Song of Mary that we're going to read in just a moment. It's going to help us to bring back and see the real meaning of Christmas once again. So here's our song. Here's our main passage for the morning, starting at verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, Mary's song. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, He has filled the hungry with good things, and in the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. That was the song of Mary, this, this celebratory praise of Mary. And this song is, is, is referred to as the Magnificat, which is the Latin word for magnify, which is that very first word that we see in the Latin Translation of this song, and and what what we see is there's so much in this song we can probably legitimately spend like four weeks on this single passage, but we just don't have the time to do that. So what we're gonna do instead is I'm gonna do all of it today. So you'll be here for about four hours. We'll have brunch. I can't do that to you. Can't even do that to myself. I'll need a break in between. But we're going to focus on one aspect of that today. We're going to focus on one aspect. We're going to focus on, on, on what we're going to use, and, and we'll set it up with our main idea. Okay, so that main idea today is this, that Mary's song is a call to unselfish service. So that's what we're going to pull out of this passage today, that Mary's song is a call to unselfish service. So I think it's important. Mary is a very well-known figure, and, and, and what, we, what I want to do is just spend a couple of minutes on this idea because, unfortunately, there are some misconceptions and misunderstandings of who Mary is and what her role really was. Um, and it's really, in large part, due to Mary's song. So there are some denominations that have completely taken these, these song lyrics out of complete context. So I want to address those very quickly. Um, and what we'll see is that Mary refuted some of these things herself, within the song. And so we're going to look at that. And we're not going to, our purpose, and, and Pastor Pat and I, we're not going to bash on any specific denomination or group of individuals for, for the most part. Why? Because, well, that's just not what we want to do. But many of us know folks who have been a part of this, who understand this to be the truth, who believe in these things, and, and we're, we want to be sensitive to that as well. But we want to also point you back to what the scriptures say to help us to understand that this is what the Bible teaches about Mary and her role. And these erroneous verses, um, they come from a couple of uh, verses outside of this as well. One of those is actually when Elizabeth greeted Mary, what we read just a few minutes ago. Luke chapter 1, verse 42 says that she, who, which is Elizabeth, exclaimed with a loud cry, "Blessed among you, or, Blessed are you among all women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So that's one of the verses that some of these folks, they take to to, to elevate Mary. And then the second one comes right out of Mary's song in verse 48 where Mary says, for he looked on the humble state of his servant and behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So from those two verses, people have this complete misconception and understanding of who Mary is and they've created these doctrines, these erroneous doctrines that are completely uh, false and according to what the scriptures say. First one is this, it's the immaculate conception. I'm sure many of us have heard that term before. This doctrine they teach maintains this idea that from the moment she was conceived, her herself, Mary was conceived from the womb that she was perfect and without that original sin that each of us are born with. That's what they teach, and they teach that she lived a perfect and sinless life from that point forward. Another one that they talked about is this idea of perpetual virginity. Perpetual virginity, essentially, as we, we can probably imagine, that just basically says that before, during, and after Jesus' birth, she was without, she was still a virgin, and we know that that's not to be true. Later, we see that he had brothers and sisters, then uh, the other one is that she is the, a co-mediator. So this is another one of those erroneous doctrines that they pulled out, that she was a, a co-mediator. She's viewed that, that she is a, a side and equal to Jesus and part of this idea and process of salvation. So these are three erroneous doctrines that they pull out from these two verses, and they elevate Mary. But what we see, again, Jesus himself said No. So uh, later in Luke chapter 11, Jesus, when they tried to elevate Mary, he says these words. He says, in these things, and after he said some things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast in which you nursed. And Jesus responded, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He says, don't elevate her. The blessing is on you who have heard his word the word of God and kept it. Jesus refuted any attempt that people had to put others above himself and make anyone else an object of worship. But we saw that Mary already did that. Mary did that in her song. We saw that here, and and, and we'll look at this song and break it apart, and you'll see this very clearly as we do so. This, This song is broken into two sections, two stanzas, if you will. And the first stanza, the verses 46 through 49, what Mary does here is she focuses on what God has done in her life, which is a great lesson for us to focus on what God has done for us. You'll notice in that that section, these pronouns are me and my. So she's talking about herself, and and we're going to spend most of our time in this section because we think that there's a lot of practical things we can pull from here to help us to live that out in our lives. The second part of that comes from verses 50 through 55. And in this section, what we see is it, it focuses on what God is doing and will do for the entire universe and the entire world through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in that second section. And those pronouns there, as you saw, are our third person, those, are those and their And that helps us to see that from the beginning to the end, the focus of the song from Mary is the greatness of God. It has nothing to do with herself. And since we've talked about this already and with Elizabeth's words, we're not going to spend too much time on that area there. Uh, So again, we just want to call back. So our our idea here, the main idea that we're going to focus on the rest of our time is that Mary's song is a call to unselfish service. So going back to that first section that we talked about a moment ago, that first section teaches us, and it shows us that Mary acknowledges God's decision to choose her. And and that decision that God done, it wasn't for her sake. It wasn't because of anything she did, but it was an act of his grace. It was an act of his grace. So when God sent his only son, he picked the most unlikely girl to carry out this task. And we can see, and and he he chose this this young, unmarried girl from Nazareth. This was a despised area. This wasn't a a, a rich neighborhood. It wasn't, you know, it it was an unlikely and undesirable place. So he chose this young girl from there. And he chose her to bear a son in a stable in Bethlehem where that son would take his first nap in a feeding trough that's how G- that's how god decided to bring in his son to this earth in the most humble way possible with with one of the most humble persons and mary knew that god didn't choose her because she had a great education because she she had this this great high social status You know, and it it, it reminds me, somebody mentioned this earlier, it reminds me of that song, Mary, did you know? And Elizabeth knows that that's one of my favorite songs. Yes, she did know. Gabriel told her, told her everything. Right? She did know. But it it reminds me of that. So Mary here is, is praising God because she chose, he chose her in spite of all of these things that were against her, if you will. So this is why, when we saw from Elizabeth, this is why, She said that all nations will be blessed through him and all people and future generations will call her blessed because she had an opportunity to be a part of this incredible place in history. And it was his goodness, it was God's greatness, it was his grace that allowed that to happen. Mary magnifies Jesus, magnifies Jesus, which means that he's going to become larger and larger and she's going to become less and less. And that's what she means by that. She's going to magnify and lift him up, and she's going to become less. In my opinion, this is one of the most important phrases in this song, has to be, God, my Savior. She openly admits and celebrates that she is in need of a Savior, which, again, refutes any possible other doctrines that, that teach otherwise. She says, God, my Savior, she acknowledges that not only does she need a savior but she will also give birth to that savior which is a humble experience as well we talked about earlier this idea of, of everybody kind of overemphasizing mary and overemphasizing and putting her in this area uh, and, and and what we can learn from mary and pulling away from that what we can learn from her instead is that she knew how, and she helped us understand how to become unselfishly ready to be used by God and and to unselfishly serve the needs of others. So let's use that reminding time that we have today to, to help us to see what Mary's song teaches us about this fact, that how do we and how to become selfishly serving others during this Christmas season. So we're going to discuss how to selfishly serve others this Christmas. So the first step that we want to take during this time is to know God through his word. And once we, we really look at this song, we can see that Mary understood the scriptures very well. And, and, and we, we see that, you know, she's a, she's a teenager, like we talked about earlier, she's a teenager. But there's a lot of evidence in this song that she intimately knew who God was and was familiar with God. Through this song. She developed that knowledge, obviously, from the scriptures. There are recorded that there's at least 15 quotes or allusions to, from the Old Testament scriptures in this song alone. Fifteen quotes or allusions in this song alone. One of them uh, mainly comes from the Psalms, but others actually come from 1 Samuel chapter 2 and Hannah's song. It's very familiar, and it pulls a lot from there as well. So when we read these, these lyrics in this song from Mary, it's almost like we're hearing Mary's understanding of the Scriptures and her song. And it reminded me of last week. A lot of you were here last week for our Lord's Supper and our, our meal that we enjoyed together. And John, uh, he had mentioned something uh, at our table that was pretty neat. He says, gathering together at a table and taking the Lord's Supper together, it puts me in the place of like the apostles. He's like, I feel like I'm sitting at the Lord's table, and Jesus is teaching me all over again about what this all means. And that's kind of what we saw from, you see, from Mary. Mary is like, like this is what I understand about God, and I'm just going to praise him for it and lift him up and magnify the Lord, the Savior of the world that's coming because I've been blessed to do so. And that's what we are to do, and frankly, we ought to be doing the same thing, lifting the Lord on high during this season, and and making sure people understand why we have the hope that we do. Next thing we can do is, is recognize that all that I have comes from the hand of God. All that I have comes from the hand of God. Mary not only acknowledges that God has done great things for her personally, but she also sings about the great things that God has done for others. And we see that, like I said, in that second half of the, of the song. And he's, he's done that through the ages. A couple of weeks ago, I finished a book. It's a classic book. Josh McDowell wrote a book called More Than a Carpenter. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that book. Fantastic read if you haven't read it. And in that book, he reminds us of the apostle Saul or Paul. And, and he uses examples like, look, if you don't need any other evidence than just seeing how God changes others, how do you explain Saul becoming Paul? How do you explain that radical change of how this man, a killer of Jews and persecutor of Christians, to changing the course of, of, of missionary work, of, of creating an incredible legacy and becoming one of the strongest figures in our church history? Like, you can't explain that in any other way than supernatural. That had to have been God. And I think we see that. So, when we see God changing the lives of other people, of people who would never expect to run into in heaven when we all get there, we're like, You're here? No way, dude. That's awesome. Right, well, we, that's what we're talking about here, how God can change lives and change people, and that's evidence of who he is, and we should celebrate that as well. Next thing we see here is that we should allow God to use me as he desires. Allows, allow God to use me as he desires. And, and again, we have, we have every reason to believe that, she, that Mary was, was a, a, an individual, a young lady who, who wanted to please God. There's no indication otherwise. And we see that evidence because when, when, a- when Gabriel came and revealed how God was going to use her, she was caught off guard, of course, like we all would be. But Jesus came in a way that nobody expected. So she was processing, right, just like you and I probably would be. But once she got over this initial shock, Look at verse 38. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She's like, okay, I'm yours. Use me in the way you need me to be used. So she said, use me, Lord. And if you think about it, many of us who serve may not have served in like the desired area that we wanted to at first. A lot of us have served in places where there was just simply a need. Oh, you need me to clean up the kitchen after the service? Okay. You need me to, to, you know, a work day? You need me to to get my elbows dirty and get my knee? Fine, we'll do it, right? So sometimes we just serve where it's needed. And then at times what happens from there is it it allows the opportunity not only for you to figure out and get to know people, but sometimes they're like, hey, you know what? I have a need for you over here. Are you willing to serve? Absolutely. Or maybe somebody sees something in you and they can pull out from you something that you didn't even know what was there. Pat and I have similar stories when, when, when people have, have come to us and said, hey, I think you'll be a great pastor. We're like, what? No, I don't, I don't know about all that. Because a lot of times you need somebody else to see it because a lot of times we're not going to see it ourselves. So if, if you're looking to serve and you want to be used by God and you're just not sure where to be used, just serve somewhere. And God can use you in a great way and eventually put you in that place where he needs you most. That's the wonderful thing about being a part of a body of Christ, a local body like this church, is we can put you somewhere and God can use you until you're able to be placed in that position or place where you desire to be. And sometimes you're going to do something and you don't know if that's where you're called to be and all of a sudden, hey, this is exactly where God wants me to be. And it's a really neat experience. So if you are looking to serve but just don't know where to start, See one of the elders. We'll get you plugged in somewhere. There's always something to do. There's always a place to serve. Finally, we see this. We have to act as if, as I have opportunity. Act as I have opportunity. So if you really think about it, Mary wasn't actively searching to be the mother, earthly mother of the Lord. She wasn't actively searching to be the vessel of this this Messiah. She wasn't actively doing these things, but God knew her heart. And and that's likely why she was chosen. God knew her heart, and God knew that she had a desire to serve God where she was and wherever the opportunity was. And she proved that through her actions and through her song and then through how she raised our Lord Jesus. And like we talked about with the kids, I'm sure many of you have already started your Christmas season. Right? Day after Thanksgiving, we put up our decorations. Right? That's our tradition. That's what we do. Some of you have may even been super, super Christmassy, and, and you already have your shopping done. Bravo to you, if that is you, right? So it's possible that a lot of you have already done and have already begun this Christmas season and, and done all of these things, and that's perfectly okay. And well, as we have already seen, these, these songs are already all over the radio. And decorations are already all over our neighborhoods, and it's all around us. And I think sometimes we kind of feel guilty about that because when we see too much Santa and not enough Jesus, what do we do? Put Jesus, put Christ back in Christmas, everybody. Right? Put Christ back in Christmas. Right? And that's okay. You know, those are our personal convictions. That's okay. But there's nothing, if you think about it, there's nothing inherently wrong about getting ready, putting on Christmas pajamas to open up presents on Christmas morning, all those things. There's nothing inherently wrong about it. What we want to encourage you to do is you always need to put Jesus in front of you. When those things become a barrier to seeing Jesus in front of you, that's when it's a problem, right? When, when all of our desires and things that we like to do to, to keep ourselves entertained, when those things become a barrier to seeing Jesus, that's when it's a problem. So I want to encourage you this year to do something that this song is encouraging us to do, and that's to serve others, and that helps us to keep Jesus in the forefront as we move through this season. So let's see that. So we've seen this morning that Mary's song does help us to see that. Mary's song is a call to unselfish service. So here's what I want to do is between now and Christmas time, find some ways to follow the example of Mary. Find some ways to follow the example of Mary and, and serve selfishly, selflessly others during this time of need. Because frankly, we all know that there's, there's, there's a lot of need out there during this time. And it's not an easy time for a lot of people too. People who have lost loved ones, people who have have suffered financial issues, people who have loved ones that they're, 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 they're spiritually battling with, right? There's a lot that is happening within each of every one of our lives and we can probably be a good, positive part of that in serving them and loving them. So I'm convinced that each and every one of us can do something. Each and every one of us can do something. I'm convinced of that. So here's what I want to ask us to do each week uh, during this week. Individually and as a family, just pray about it. Pray about this. Pray and ask God to reveal to you how he wants to use you. How do you want to use me this season, God? Ask him to open up your eyes to opportunities that may be in front of you. Humble yourself and ask him to humble you enough to be unselfish with whatever resources he has entrusted. And I'm confident if you do that, you're going you're gonna to be able to relate and see this, this song of Mary and how it, how it can impact us. And realistically, there's so many needs around us. But so that means even as a church family, we can probably do something to help others, can't we? So as a church family and together as a church family, we can, we can impact those in our community. And we could do that together and we can do that individually. Imagine the reach from individuals, each and every single family represented here today are able to help others. And in doing so, we can magnify Jesus by serving others as we saw with Mary. Let's pray father god we don't we don 't know the needs of anybody specifically here in our body we don 't know the needs of anybody outside these walls, but we know god that that you have gifted each and every one of us with resources monetary and otherwise you have gifted us with opportunities to serve and we just ask God that you you do humble us to see and, and take the blinders off so we can see around us and if if we can touch and serve another family or somebody in need, we ask, God, that you enable us to do that. We ask, God, that you give us that opportunity to serve you and to be open to service in whatever capacity that you need us to be so. Just like what we saw with Mary this morning. She was an unexpecting, unfit individual on the surface, but, God, you used her in an incredible way, and I'm convinced that He can, you can do that, God, with each and every one of us. So open up our hearts to do so. Open up our minds and our resources and allow us to bless others during this season because that's what you've done for us. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.